Big news, ASRM Today listeners. Join ASRM as we team up with the European Society of Human Reproduction to present the best of ESHRA and ASRM March 2nd through the 4th, 2023 in Orlando, Florida. This exciting conference brings together experts from around the world to highlight and discuss how approaches to reproductive medicine differ between U.S. and European practices. Experience thought-provoking plenary talks, along with stimulating debates and other sessions that will give you a better understanding of international differences in the practice of reproductive medicine. This meeting only happens in the U.S. once every four years, so take advantage of the opportunity to participate this spring. To learn more and register, visit www.asrm.org. On to the show. Policy matters. Policy matters. Policy matters. Policy matters. Policy matters. Policy Policy matters. matters. I'm Jeffrey Hayes, and on this episode of Policy Matters, we're joined by Sarah Bogdan and Jesse Loesch from our Washington, D.C. headquarters to give us an advocacy update for the end of 2022. I now turn things over to them. Great. Thank you so much. Well, I have some very exciting news to talk about. I'm thrilled, actually. ASRM has been involved with the introduction of a bill to protect IVF. It's called the Right to Build Families. It's been introduced by Senators Tammy Duckworth from Illinois, Senator Patty Murray from Washington, and Congresswoman Susan Wilde from Pennsylvania. We are thrilled to have been part of this process I'm going to talk a little bit about the bill and all the sort of activity around that. So we've been hearing from our members the very real anxiety from their patients that they have all been feeling since the Supreme Court's Dobbs versus Jackson's women's health decision. And since this Dobbs ruling, as you know, unfortunately, some states have been rushing to pass personhood bills, and some states have been inadvertently or purposefully trying to ban IVF. I want to note that ASRM opposes all abortion restrictions. But we're also super concerned about this rush for some states to pass personhood bills that may, you know, inadvertently ban IVF. As you know, as of today, IVF is still legal in all 50 states, and ASRM is committed to protecting access to family building. You know, as we've said before, it's not also just what about state legislatures do. There will be inevitably court challenges that will create opportunities for the judicial branch to interpret legislative intent and meaning. So this bill, the Right to Bill's Family Act, is much needed to provide an important backstop, federal backstop, to protect access for patients seeking to build their families through ART, including IVF treatment. So this bill is intended to protect that access. And we are so thankful of these three congressional leaders introducing this bill. You know, we fundamentally believe that every American should exercise their right to family building and it should be unhindered access to ART, regardless of zip code, employment status, if they wanna become a solo parent and whom they love. And this is why it's very important to enact and introduce the Right to Build Families Act. Do you want to note and do a shout out to Resolve? They've been fantastic partners in this, and we are proud to, to lift up this great opportunity and the congressional leaders 
to bring these issues to the forefront. I also want to shout out my own colleagues, if I can. Sarah has been working tirelessly is not even the word um, on this while she's doing many other things. So she would not have said that. I get to say that. <laughs> Thanks. So I encourage you to reach out to your members of Congress to support this bill. You know, this is, is coming towards the end of the congressional session. So we'll tell them to co-sponsor this bill. We have all the information you needed on our website about this and how to contact your members of Congress. And then for next year, really encourage the reintroduction and highlighting the importance of this bill that we hope to be also reintroduced next year. Sarah, I'm going to throw more things at you here, but while this all was happening, <laughs> there was a special session in Georgia, a special session, wrong, that's on me later, but uh, <laughs> there were elections happening um, in Georgia and uh, some other things were happening, happening federally. So can you, with your federal brain on, really quickly explain um, the significance of Rafael Warnock's win in Georgia and then I think only five days later, Kirsten Sinema's decision to leave the Democratic Party and become an independent. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Happy to talk about this. So as I'm sure a lot of our listeners know, uh, Raphael Warnock has won the Senate seat in Georgia. He had nearly a three-point lead over Republican Herschel Walker. And this is sort of a completes a stunning sweep for Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Senate Democrats, you know, to be perfectly frank, it's been it was a disastrous year for Senate Republicans. But anyways, let's go back to Warnock. Warnock pulled out a win. You know, every Democratic Senate incumbent won re-election this cycle. It's the first time in almost 90 years that has happened. This gave Schumer a 51-seat majority and full control of all committees for 2023. Now I have to add the asterisk. <laughs> Things changed over five. Yeah, I think it was it was less than five days. It was only like four days, I think. Things change. So Kristen Cinema from Arizona on December 9th announced that she's changed her resignation, her registration, sorry, from a Democrat to an independent. Now there are already two independents in the Senate who caucus with the Democrats. But this decision sort of leaves, although it does leave Democrats in control of the Senate, it's now a much less comfortable margin than it was, you know, four days previous when Warnock won. Of course, Cinema often sides with Democrats, especially when it comes to key nominations. But her leaving the Democratic Party sort of gave Senator Joe Manchin another outsized sway once again, which is he has had for the last two years. So to, she hasn't really announced that she's going to caucus with the Democrats. That is the assumption that she's make that we're all making because she's uh, communicated and Senator Leader Chuck Schumer has, has indicated that she will hold her committee assignments, meaning that she would still remain caucusing with the Democrats. So that there's a sort of an asterisk in 2023 for Senate Democrats. Well, you know, Holding that power, having subpoena power, having majority control over committees is very important, especially when it comes to a split Congress. So in the House, 
as I'm sure most of our listeners know, Republicans won a House majority. They won 222 races. They needed 218. So we're talking about who has control. You know, the House will switch. That means that Republicans will have control of committees, subpoena power, et cetera. And the Senate will still, a little bit of an asterisk, remain in control of the Democrats. So speaking of the House, doing a little bit of a state roundup, looking back, in a little bit of a surprise, we ASRM have been looking at and working closely in Ohio. We had a, a lobbyist and in particular because there was a special session in Ohio, there were pretty solid rumors that there were that the Ohio state legislator was going to um, introduce a total abortion ban. And what we learned was that there is now, at least this year and looking at next session, not going to be any new abortion bans introduced, which is a positive, both in terms of what, you know, Sarah said, we at ASRM oppose all abortion bans, and this is going to be a positive for family building plans. And we have been able to focus our, our efforts on really think not only opposing detrimental bans, but in some places actually positive efforts as well in terms of protection and even supporting fertility preservation and IVF. We have been able to contract lobbyists where there were special sessions in other states. We ran ads in all states that had ballot amendments. And I love being able to say there were there was positive news in all of those states, whether those were positive ballot amendments, those passed, and where those were detrimental, those failed. So we are very grateful um, to everybody who supported our efforts in those states to either run those ballot amendments and ads and voted for those. We are hopefully going to be able to do that again in, in, in next session. So Sarah, you did a really concise and comprehensive rundown of what this Republican House now means in terms of potential legislation. A lot of bills have been either pre-filed or filed. And I just want to mention that, you know, you mentioned personhood bills at the beginning. Those bills, personhood bills mean that the definition of life is often either at moment of conception or moment of fertilization. For our purposes, that would mean that IVF would definitely be affected. It would mean that in many cases, adoption, destruction, or in some states, preservation of embryos would be affected. So we are prepared to oppose all of those bills as we have been doing, depending on the makeup of the states in which those bills have been filed, depending on the necessity in those specific states, we're going to continue to hire lobbyists. We're going to continue to work with our advocacy partners in those states. What are some other ways that ASRM is going to sort of look at the coming year and session? Sure. So let me talk a little bit about, you talked a good, did a good roundup of what's going to happen in the states. So let's, let me talk a little bit about what I expect in Congress. I expect because of the numbers of Republicans that hold that make the majority, which you need 218 to hold the majority, right? 
Republicans at this moment have 222. It's not a lot of room for Republicans to have good, have a robust vote on anything, right? You know, if Congress is kind of funny. There are always members that are out. There are always members who are sick. There are members who get new jobs. And unfortunately, there's some members who just jumped, who unfortunately passed away during the congressional session. So it's going to be very hard for Republicans to govern. That means passing bills. Every bill is going to be tough unless every Republican agrees to it. And maybe even some Democrats. Um, Because they, you know, you want that margin for passing legislation. You know, governing is always hard. Doesn't matter who is in the majority, but governing is hard. But what isn't hard is when you are, you know, the majority party running congressional committees is presidential harassment. That's pretty easy. (laughs) It's pretty easy to have a whole bunch of committees, all of the committees asking for and subpoenaing presidents, current records, past records, cabinet members, et cetera. Presidential harassment, administration harassment, past administration, current administration, that's all pretty easy stuff to do. And I'm thinking that based off of what we've seen in the last few weeks, what's going to happen is that you're going to have a lot of congressional leaders making a lot of noise and subpoenaing lots of lawyers, a lot of noise, a lot of chatter. But it's really, again, really hard to govern. So actually passing those laws, it'll be a challenge. Now, noise, harassment, lawyers, all of that certainly makes a difference in the ecosystem of politics. Absolutely. Especially for in the next election. But for what they actually have to do, which both parties will have to do, there are a number of things that have to happen every single year, several times a year, making sure the government is funded, making sure it's open, passing, you know, whatever, whatever is happening that needs to be reauthorized. That has all, there's all a whole set of billions of dollars, maybe even trillions of dollars, yeah, trillions of dollars, I think you could say, of programs that have to be reauthorized and passed every year. So there's going to be trouble with a mixed Congress of making those bills actually pass. I would say, you know, government shutdown is not an uncertain. It's like it's, it, that wouldn't be surprising, depending on how things roll at the end of the year. Right now, what we're seeing is, you know, trying for congressional leaders trying to pass a an appropriations to run so long. I think it might be a year, may not be. We're they're still working it out and, and squabbling over it currently. Um, but at the end of that appropriation cycle, there needs to be another one. And that's probably going to happen in 2023. And so getting that stuff done can be difficult and very difficult. I think under Boehner, when he was majority leader, there was an, an endless amount of shutdowns that happened. Some of them were like eight hours, and then some of them were four or six weeks, if I can remember correctly. And that is uncomfortable for everybody. Um, <laughs> and who that blame and blame lands on is uncomfortable for everybody. So the governing piece is going to be challenging, and there's going to be a lot of noise. But the the yelling and the screaming and the blaming and the subpoenaing and the lawyering that is that definitely going to happen next year in Congress. And so <laughs> that's where Congress Congress is going to be focused on. 
But that's a very different situation when it comes to what's happening in a lot of state houses. Oh, boy. I'm I'm now remembering all my friends whose children went to government-run daycare and how just miserable that that those years were. Excellent. I, I feel like as a counterpoint, maybe to that, I, I just want to shout out um, some state-led governments that are that are that are preempting. I don't even know what word I want to use with some positives. Um, the California FAB, a fabulously named coalition, uh, Future of Abortion, is um, doing some really great work on not only abortion, but telehealth, provider protection, and, and working really well with some legislators in, in California who have worked with us in the past, Maryland, New York. So maybe some of our congressional leaders can take inspiration from them. Can we maybe lead them in that direction, Sarah? Yeah, I mean, there's there's going to be positive things that happen too. I know I'm a little bit of a glass half empty kind of girl, so like, <laughs> I'm always I'm always worried about threats and the canary screaming about threats all of the time. I think the I think that's why we get things tired of me screaming about threats. Yeah, you know? like, um, but that's but there will be some positive stuff, and there was some positive stuff this year. Let's talk about OPM for a quick minute. So let's talk about OPM. Let's talk about OPM, and then we can so we can end on a positive note. Right. Great. So the Office of Personal Management made some good moves on infertility coverage. So they made it mandatory for all federal plans, so health insurance plans for federal employees, to have fertility coverage. Fertility coverage, uh, yeah. particular uh, fertility preservation for idiop- idiopathic indications. I, I think is it all iatrogenic? I'll, all iatrogenic. Yes, thank you. All iatrogenic. <laughs> thank you. Indications. So that's great. So that means uh, cancer patients, et cetera, will have automatic coverage for fertility preservation for all insurance plans. They also made some good moves on encouraging their insurance plans to offer also offer IVF um, and ART coverage. Now, not every plan in every state made those changes. It is still too small to like call it like a, you know, we won, we and all health insurance for all federal employees is covered, right? It's not where we're there yet, but maybe we could get there. And we're certainly working with our partners, our advocacy partners, on trying to encourage the Office of Personal Management to require their insurance carriers to cover infertility coverage and IVF and ART for all employees and all for all plans. And so I think we've made some really good moves there and federal government, I mean, having the federal government cover all of that would be a game changer. And I think we're on the game changer path. So I think that's a really positive place to end. And that's something that ASRM and all the partners involved in that project are going to keep pushing for. We hope that we'll keep pushing and there'll be more success there. So I hope I didn't end this podcast with a glass half empty um, canary coal mine screaming about all the threats that are out there, because there are positive things that are happening in states, Congress, uh, I don't know, <laughs> maybe you know, not in 2023. Path, though. Like, <laughs> what a good, if if we can get everybody on the game changer path. Yeah. So like. We're, we're, we're getting, we're, there'll be some positive things that happen and we'll be excited and thrilled 
to share them when they do. And as the year turns anew, as always, hopefully new things happen. I'd like to thank Sarah Bogdan and Jesse Loesch from our Washington, D.C. headquarters uh, for taking time out to give us an advocacy update uh, for the end of 2022. As always, I am Jeffrey Hayes, and this has been Policy Matters. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, author information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM. ASRM Today series podcasts are supported in part by the ASRM Corporate Member Council. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician.